0: Our text this morning is found in Romans chapter 8. We're going back to Romans. We're starting a new chapter. Um, you know, it's like, wow, we've, we've arrived. Uh, we've been talking about Romans 7 for quite a while. Um, and uh, Romans 6 and 7. Now we're Romans 8. We may get, we may finish Romans 8 by summertime. I don't know. Um, we'll just like uh, uh, the, our time together decide that. And see how many uh, how long winded you'll let me be. So, <laughs> but I chose this title specifically because it's really the bookends of this chapter. As we think about Romans chapter eight, it's such a beautiful chapter. I I as I was studying Romans for the last couple of years preparing, uh, it was amazing how many commentaries I read, and it's like. We get to Romans chapter 5, and it's like hardest chapter in Romans. And then I got to Romans chapter 6, and they were like, hardest chapter in Romans. And then I got to Romans chapter 7, hardest chapter in Romans. It's like, make up your mind. It was like, it seemed like every commentary was like, kept saying hardest passage, hardest passage, hardest passage. In fact, um, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, he is accredited it as having one of the best commentaries on Romans, and I've been reading it, and he multiple times said, hardest passage on Romans. And then we get to Romans chapter 8, and he says, best passage in Romans. I was like, praise the Lord, <laughs> finally. One commentary put it this, he says, this is the diamond jewel of Romans. He said, if you think of Romans as a wedding ring, he said Romans 8 would be the diamond of the wedding ring, the focal point. And that's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a great passage. It's a rejoicing passage. It's, it's an encouraging passage, but sometimes also we can get so encouraged that we encourage, we forget the importance of this passage. So we're looking at that. And think about it this way. Have you ever seen a ship uh, that's been anchored. Uh, a ship that's anchored is a good thing. Uh, we like an anchored ship. Setting, being set free is a good thing, but being set free can also be a bad thing. A lot of times when we think about our life being set free, we love being liberated from things. When you're in debt to something, we want to be set free from debt, right? But sometimes being set free from debt means that we have freedom, which then means we go into more debt. That happens sometimes. It's like a great ship. Um, Being set free as a ship can be a dangerous thing because that means it can be just free to float on the oceans of life. And when we're floating around on the oceans, you can encounter so many different things. Rocks in the ocean, uh, sandy bars in the ocean. You can find great storms in the ocean. Having a a secure anchor is a beautiful thing. When we get to Romans 8, we want to realize being set free from our sin is like the most victorious thing that we can proclaim, which God has done for us. But it also means it comes with great security. It it means that not only do we have freedom, but that means that, that freedom came with security so that we're not just tossed around By every whim of life. See, one of the things is, is when we find security or we find freedom, a lot of times we use that freedom wrongly. And it leads to insecurity. Sometimes freedom to do whatever we want in life creates an inward focus that brings insecurity. But that's not the freedom that God has given us when he justified us, when he brought us into a right relationship with him. Being in Christ has given us great freedom, great victory. But what comes with it is great security. See, what we're talking about is sanctification. It's talking about our life with Christ. What our life with Christ looks like. It not only looks like a great freedom from the sins and ills of this world, the freedom and the victory over our flesh, that we no longer have this master of the flesh that's ruling over our life, but we're now in Christ and we have this new master in Christ who powers our life. We have this newness of life that we're walking in. And it's a secure life. And that's the real thing to think about. If you say, well, yeah, I've I've given my life to Christ. I know that I'm free in Christ, but I'm dealing with a lot of insecurity in life, then this is a great chapter for you. This is a great encouragement for you to realize that the byproduct of our freedom in Christ is great security. Let's look at the text, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 is our text this morning. As we look about this new life in Christ and the life that now is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So as we look at this text, let's read it and then ask God to bless it. Verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. And the law of sin and death, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh anymore, but according to the spirit. As we look at this great verse, it reminds us of where we've come in Romans. So let's pray and ask God to encourage us with these great victorious words. Lord, help us to understand these truths and why you wrote them. Why you wrote them through Paul. Why you gave them to Paul for the church in Rome. And why you now give them to us. Would you teach us, encourage us, and help us to understand what you have given to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we see in verse 1 is that our security and freedom, our security and freedom from the consequences of sin is from our union with Christ. It's from being in Christ. There's four words to understand this text. We're going to really expound these four words because it's the reason for verse 2 and 3 and 4. He goes on to explain why we have no condemnation in Christ. He says, therefore, and he's talking about, Paul is talking about going back to the, entirety, argue, the entire argument of justification, being declared right in God's eyes, that we are not declared right by the work of the law or by our work. There's nothing that we can do if we follow the law. That's not going to declare us right. That wasn't the work of the law. The work of the law was to show us how holy God was and to show us how sinful we are, And that we need God to justify us. We need Christ and his work. He's expounding on chapter 6 and that he revealed that our union with Christ is vital. And the fact that we've been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, we've been raised with Christ. Just as we read in Colossians 1. He's reminding us of Romans chapter 7, reminding us of our ongoing struggle with sin, that we're no longer with Adam in this camp, but we're now we're unified with Christ over here, but we're still in the flesh. We're not living with God in heaven, perfected completely, but are, we have been satisfied, justified in God's eyes positionally, but we still struggle with sin. Romans 8 now is going to go on to show us how we have victory from that sin and and walking in this daily life for God through the Holy Spirit. In fact, Romans 8, if you remember, Romans 7 was all about law and sin. You talk about all about law and sin, used many, many times. Romans 8, 20 different times, is going to mention God's Spirit. If you were to take, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do in the life of the believer? Well, Paul is going to expound on that work that he does and how he uses the Holy Spirit in your life. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, because God has justified you, you now have no condemnation. You are not declared guilty in the eyes of God. Romans, if you remember, and you go back to Romans chapter 7, if you turn back and look, just look at verse 6. It's almost the same wording when he says, but now. He says, Paul said, but now we have been raised or released from the law, having died to that by which you've been bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the uh, oldness of the letter of the law. The idea here is is that we're no longer under the law, but under the spirit of the law, or the the law of the spirit. Paul's reminding us that, therefore, we used, that we went back and we were going back. And because God has justified us, we now are condemned. But did you notice that he said, no condemnation? In the Greek, it's actually, therefore thou is no, no condemnation. It's no twice. It's emphatic. It's it's saying that there is no, not even one ounce of condemnation for those who have been justified. If you've been declared right in God's eyes, you're not under condemnation. That's great. I don't know about you, but it's like, When I stand before God, it's like I don't have to sit there. Oh, I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if I've done all the things I need to do. Because I've been justified by the work of Christ. And I'm not using the law to try to be justified. Or I'm not using moral, religious things to be justified. I've been declared right in God's eyes because of Christ's work. I now No, for certain, I am secure in the fact I am not under a guilty verdict. I am no longer walking that long mile to the electric chair. I'm not under a guilty sentence. I'm no longer condemned before God. I'm not on death row. Right? Before justification, I'm on death row having the penalty of death. But now, that's a great word, isn't it? Now is a time word. It's indicating and referring that there is a change that happened once and for all. It's not saying that you will become, you, you know, you will, you will earn no condemnation. It says now because of being justified, you don't, you're not under that death sentence anymore. You are no longer need the blood and sacrifice of animals. Christ has come. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Once and for all, Jesus offered himself as a perfect and final sacrifice for all eternity. It's a great time word. But now we no longer have condemnation. We no longer are under that eternal Condemning punishment. That's a great place to be. That's what's so freeing. We are liberated from that death sentence. It's like being on death row, walking to the electric chair, and having your payment paid for, and being set free. But now you have security that you'll no longer ever, now no longer be under that death sentence. But finally, if you look at verse 1, it says, Now, no condemnation for who? Is it just for everybody? But those who are in Christ Jesus. These are, this is a great blessing. Remember the two categories, Adam and Christ? One man, the new man, the old man, the new man, the kingdom of the flesh and the, the kingdom of righteousness. That's been Paul that's been God's message through Paul from the very beginning that he had brought this powerful salvation to, to us to make us right in God's eyes through his own righteousness It's not through our righteousness, our righteous deeds, but through God's own righteous act that's what makes the gospel so powerful his salvation so powerful. this is a a great question that's not trivial, It's not frivolous question when it says this, Are you in Christ? Because those who are in Christ, those that have turned and submitted their life to Christ, those that are in Christ, that are, are in His righteousness, that are dependent upon Him by faith, right? Ephesians chapter 2. Not uh, not by works, lest any man should boast, but those that are putting their faith and trust in Christ, what He, His work, what he has done for you, if you are in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. It's a great encouragement. Being in Christ is a refuge. It's a strength. It's a secure place. Colossians chapter one said or three, verse one said, and through verse 4 says that we are now hidden in Christ. If you are raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above because your life is now hidden with Him. Right? We are free from the things of this world and our life is now hidden with Christ. That's a, that's a secure place to be, it's being behind a wall of security. Right? If you have a great big enemy that's marching to defeat you, to destroy your life, is, you know, I always laugh. You always watch those programs and people, there's somebody coming, whether it's an animal, you know, they try to climb the tree. Um, You know, if it's a person, they hide in the closet, they go under the bed. It's, It's always the first place that people look. It's not very secure, is it? But that's the point. What we do in this world is not secure. What we do in this world is not very profitable. But when we are in Christ, we have where our life is hidden in Christ. It's secure. It's not only freeing from the condemnation of our sin. We're free from that condemnation. But now... We have security. This is the reality. If we move into verse 2, we see this, that we therefore now have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For, why? Why is there no condemnation? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Right? There are two opposing laws. The law of the Spirit and the law of sin and death. Our security and freedom comes from the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. The word for in our text here means it's explaining why there is now no condemnation. Because we're not under this sentence of death anymore. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? We have this great, we can celebrate. So when it says, what is this phrase? The law of the spirit of life. Well, the word law here is a it's a regulative principle. It regulates. When it says law, it means that there's something that regulates our life. It's a principle which regulates and exercises a control over the life of a believer. What Paul is saying, what God is telling us here is is we have no condemnation because we have the law of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit now is exercising power and influence in our life towards life. And it has liberated us from the law that used to influence and power and control us towards death. You see the two opposing things that regulate life. Verse 2 primarily refers primarily to the new life that the Holy Spirit gives us in order to regulate and to regenerate this new life. Here it says he set us free. It says, by the the way, when He says has set us free, notice the verbiage there has set us free. It's signifying that once and for all, this act of setting us free. Once and for all. It's not like you have to keep being set free. You are set free. You should be secure because now your life is identified with Christ through the power and, re- and is being regulated by the Holy Spirit, not by the things of the flesh. A great example of this is Remember Nicodemus, John 3, verse 6 through 7? Remember when Jesus, Nicodemus comes, said, so you, know, you know, how do I get to heaven? And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed, he said to Nicodemus, that I said this to you, you must be born again. Right? Because we need to be born of the Spirit. We need a new regulating power in our life. And that is the Holy Spirit. That's where our security and freedom for this new walk with God comes from. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus went on to say in John six, 6 uh, sixty three, He it says, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. Here's what we glean from this: religion, moral principles, good things. No matter how constantly, no matter how much we try to follow, it can deliver anyone from the power of sin and death. All the good deeds in the world will not set us free. From the law of sin and death. To be set free, you need the newness of life. You need the spirit. Our our security and freedom are the result of God's work, not the law or any human work. You notice verse 3, it says this. It says in verse 3, it goes on to say that not only is it the spirit that has set us free from the law of sin and death, it says for the reason for no condemnation is because God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Our security and our freedom are no condemnation. That is a result of God's work. Remember, it isn't the problem isn't with the law, the problem is with our flesh. There's no power in the the law. Everyone in the world thinks if I just do good and I, I follow a good and moral law, that it will produce power in my life. It won't. If I just read enough of the Bible, it's gonna fix all the sin in my life. It's not. It's what the Holy Spirit's for. He's our comforter and He's our instructor of our heart. The law did not provide the power to keep and to fulfill the law. The flesh just weakens the law, makes it ineffective. Apart from God's intervention, the law only serves to condemn us. But are you glad that God intervened? Aren't you glad that we have this amazing grace that God stepped in and sent his own son? Salvation is completely from the Lord. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. You notice, you need to see the balance here. The importance here. It didn't say that he came in the flesh. It didn't say that he came in, uh, came in sinful flesh. It says that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus did not come in that sinful flesh, in that he was with, because he is without sin. If he had been born in sin, we would not, he would have had to die for his own sin. He did not come in the likeness of flesh, which would mean that he was truly not human. But he was truly human and bore all the sin of the world on his flesh on the cross and conquered death once and for all for us. But Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. His body was a real body so that he could die for the human sins. But he also was sinless so that he could be the Lamb of God without blemish. Dying as the perfect substitute for our sin. The word and the verbiage is very specific here. This is what God did. He didn't just give us a partial substitute. He gave us a complete substitute. He didn't give us something that we had to keep coming back to. And keep doing something in order to be saved. He saved us. By the work of cross for sin. Did you notice that in verse 3? For God has done what the law could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. The literal Greek phrase here, by the way, for sin means to deal with the sin problem. For the problem of sin. He sent his son. For the problem of sin. The result of Christ's sacrificial death. Was so that he condemned sin. In the flesh. This means that by his sacrificial death. Offering his body on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. His death was substitutionary. In our place for us this is beautiful this is amazing this is this is an emotional thing to think about that the god of this universe did completely to satisfy his wrath towards sin he didn't send just anybody for you he sent his own himself I don't know about you, but did you just notice that the complete work of salvation is the complete work of God? Don't underestimate this. The fact that it took God the Father, His plan, His will, God the Son, His work, and God the Holy Spirit that, gives, that releases the power of salvation. It's the completeness of God in all aspects of our life. Brings us to verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of of the law might be fulfilled, our security and freedom from the work of God is for powering a life of holiness. It's for powering a holy life. Verse 4 is, is very specific in its wording as well. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled by us? No, in us. The Holy Spirit produces the righteous requirement of the law. That should sound familiar. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have... Not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Our security and freedom by the work of God is the power for the righteous, holy life. Remember when First Peter says, "Be holy because I am holy?" We're like, "Wait a minute, I can't be holy. There's no way I'm not holy." But our identity is now in Christ. Our life is now hidden in Christ. It's all based on his work. Our holiness is produced because we're no longer identifying with the old self. But now we're raised with Christ. Identifying with Christ. And now empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit in our new life. Our new life has been born by the Spirit, not by any work that we could do. And he said, for fulfilling, it says in the end of verse, by sending, it says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who now we walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the Holy Spirit. Walk here is just another way of saying lifestyle. God sent his son to do the work, that we can never do for ourselves. He gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live a righteous and holy life. You ever wonder why when in the New Testament we're given the command to live a righteous and holy life that the Israelites never could do? Why did they keep making mistakes over and over and over again? Keep offering sacrifice after sacrifice and after sacrifice. Because they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit directing their life. A righteous and holy life is not because of our work. It's because of the Holy Spirit. As we're learning here that it's a new lifestyle. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk or have a lifestyle by faith, not by sight 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 our life if our life is driven by sight it's going to be moralistic it's going to be under our own power it's going to be what we like and dislike holiness is going to be subjective be subject to the flesh think of when you think of a subjective way of living it's being directed by human desire but that's why we see in second corinthians 5:7 for we walk By faith, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5:16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 2:2, in it says, talking about our old self, it says, in which you once walked, your lifestyle was once this way following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are now God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, in him, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love Ephesians 4. Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in, in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise but unwise. Ephesians 5.15, Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you, now to even with tears walk, or their lifestyle is one that is an enemy to the cross of Christ. Colossians 1.10. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus says, Lord, so walk in him. Verse 3.7. And these you also once walked when you lived in them, the things of this world, but Colossians chapter four, verse five, "Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time." Romans 5, uh, eight, verse four, "Who do not walk according to flesh any longer, but now according to the spirit." As we look at this, justification frees us from sin's penalty. But now we're being sanctified. We're being made into the image of God through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that frees us from the power of sin, power of the flesh, walking in the Spirit. Because God has forgiven us all of our sins, Christ's death, and because we have imparted this new life to us through the Spirit, we now walk According to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. There's just a couple of things that I want to leave with you about these verses. And that is, holiness is a work of God. We cannot live a holy life apart from the Holy Spirit. You know what catches us in sin? You know how we get caught in sin? When we walk according to the flesh. When we're walking according to the Spirit, He tells us, that's what the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is all about. Because we're not trusting in the flesh, but we're acknowledging Him, and He makes our paths straight. Holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live a life of holiness apart from the Holy Spirit. If we're just doing a bunch of good things, it's not going to be a holy life. It's going to be a confused life. Second thing, or the other thing is, is that we must work at this relationship with walking with the Spirit. We're responsible to walk with the Spirit. Our lifestyle, now that He has saved us and given us he has implanted the Holy Spirit into your life. We're responsible to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that's a hard thing to do. Walking by faith, what we know to be true and trust in, not by sight, right? The Holy Spirit is hard because our eyes see so much. We desire so much. We want so much. But we have everything in Christ. We at work. We have to acknowledge and walk in the Spirit. That's why he says in Ephesians walk carefully, then, circumspectly. Walk very carefully, like you're walking through this world treat everything like it's a landmine. But if we're walking by the Spirit, guess what? We don't have to worry about those landmines because He's going to direct you and He's going to make your path straight. By the way, the other thing that we see here is that holiness, a life of holiness, is mandatory. It's not optional. One of the things... I saw this question, as so I was reading a commentary. It says, is discipleship necessary? Yes, in many forms. The discipleship is basically following Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like him, becoming an image bearer of Christ, That our identity is no longer in this world, but in Christ. Are you walking in step, in line with Christ? The battery that's going to empower that walk will be the Holy Spirit. We must actually be walking according to the Spirit of God if we are truly believers. This truth of of Romans 8 frees us, empowers us to live the Christian life. That's what security is. I don't know about you, but have you ever been freed to do something? Or given the way that some people say the privilege to do something? I tell you what, I'm going to give you the privilege. You now have the responsibility to do this thing. And you're like, I don't want to do it. (laughs) It scares you to death. You all of a sudden feel insecure because the thing that you've been freed to do seems impossible. I've never done that before. What God is telling us in these first four verses is that what this position that you now find yourself in, I've given you not only... The power I've freed you from the consequences of your sin, the condemnation that you were under, the death sentence you were under, but I've also given you the power to live this new life. It's kind of like what he told Moses, right? Moses said, I can't, I can't speak. I'm right there with Moses. I'm always tongue-twisted. God says, Who made man's mouth? Can't I, if I made your mouth, can't I put the words in it? Yes, Lord. <laughs> what was He telling him? was like, look, the same power that I had to create you is the same power that I will give you to share my message. What this is telling us is that we are not on a performance treadmill. It's like, okay, get on the treadmill. We need to become better, better believers, right? You're like, it's my first anti-Donald illustration. <laughs> I just had to poke you. <laughs> no, he said, we are not on a performance treadmill trying to gain God's eternal acceptance. It's already a done deal. Therefore, now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only that. It's it's because the reason for that. Is because we are in Christ. Because it was his work. Because the law couldn't do it. Because I gave you the Holy Spirit. To set you free. To liberate you. And empower this new lifestyle. That I've given you. This new You're a new creation in Christ. We just have to. To listen, we have to seek that new relationship. We have to have a new lifestyle empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do we walk with the Spirit? Why do you read the Bible? So you can know God and walk with God. Know God and walk with God. Why do you pray? It's not to get what you want. It's to talk to God about what you know about God. It's to fellowship with God, to be honest with God. Not He knows your heart, but it's to reveal your heart to God. It's to be one-on-one with God. It's to have a relationship with God. Do you walk with the Spirit? Are you practicing walking with the Spirit, or are you just... Ignoring the Spirit and living a life in the flesh. Are you walking by sight? Or are you walking by faith? Which one is is your lifestyle determined by? Is your wisdom coming from the things of this world? Or is your wisdom coming from that which is above, from God? Romans 8 is beautiful. We're going to over and over, we're going to see... That we have great security because we have a great God. We need to magnify God and stop minimizing God. We need to magnify the Holy Spirit and stop minimizing the Holy Spirit. We need to magnify the work of Christ and stop magnifying our work of who I am. I only am what I am because of Christ. That's all any of us can say. I love what Paul said at the end of chapter 7. He said, Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Verse 24, he said, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Praise the Lord for our standing through the work of God, through the work of his Holy Spirit, through Christ. It is that which Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That all things, by the way, is great contentment and satisfaction because the power to live a holy life came through the work of Christ. Christ. All things is not about flesh. It's about spiritual things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great work that you've done for us. We thank you for Romans proclaims that we no longer have to worry about this freedom, that we can just go run around and just do whatever we want and to be insecure about what and worry about what we can't do. We don't have to worry about sharing the gospel and being insecure in our ability of sharing the good news of what you've done for us because it's not our work. It's your work. We're just proclaiming what you've done. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us alive in you. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live a holy life. Lord, I pray that if there are those that have been trying to live a good life just under their own knowledge and power and strength and under religion, that they would realize that it's futile. There is no security in that. It's very subjective. It's not objective. It's not based on something that is truly true, that is whole, that is complete, that never changes. And that they would turn to you and turn to Christ and be found in him. That they would submit their life to Christ. That they would repent and believe in the work of Christ. In doing that, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that isn't saved, that you would change their heart and help them to see you this morning. And be saved because of your work that you've done for them to set them free from this life sentence of death because of our sin. Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that we need to be responsible with this new life that you gave us. We don't live it aimlessly, but we do it imitating you and walking in the Spirit, being your disciple, being your follower, walking step-by-step with you. And as we walk step-by-step with you, realizing it's you that changes us. It's not a work that we do that changes us. It's actually walking with you in that relationship that changes our hearts and our minds in you. Lord, I pray that our church would excel at that, become better at being disciples who follow you and long for you. Help us in that endeavor. Help us to be truly disciplers and disciples and disciplees, loving you and in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.